if your mother says she loves you, I'm going to ask you why you think that and give me three objective sources to prove it. And that's journalism. Trust nothing. Welcome to Tech Marketers Uncorked. Every episode, I share a glass of wine with a leader in the tech marketing field, bringing you the best B2B marketing strategies for you to make your own. This afternoon, I'm joined by Ellen Bencard, currently serving as Associate Director at Accenture. She's leading the charge in orchestrating impactful marketing initiatives across various channels. Ellen's journey is a testament to her versatility and passion for effective communication. But before we dive into the topic, let's open this Austrian orange. Today, we're drinking the Orange Gruner Wettliner. The Windsor Krems is one of Austria's biggest wine producers. But in 2018, they were confronted with their past ties with the Nazi era. The Winehouse took ownership by sharing their journey and documenting this dark history. Today, the vineyard is a favorite to visit for both historians and wine fans. Cheers. Here, here. I love a white wine in the summer. That, that tastes quite nice as well. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, that's lovely. Quite different from like a normal white wine because normally like white wine is crisp or sometimes even too sweet. But this is a nice like in between. All right, what are you getting? Well, it's kind of full bodied because it's not light and crisp like like a normal white wine, but it's definitely got some floral notes to it. I'm getting a bit of citrus or acidity. What I'm not getting which I think is supposed to be in Gruner Beltlina, is uh, pepper, which I'm not sure it suffers from, from lacking that. Apparently, it's supposed to have a rich, textural, spicy complexity. And is while we were saying that, you know, you could use it for anything, it's meant to be a perfect match for spicy and strong flavored food. Yeah, I can, I can see I that. Can see. It, it is quite, there are some white wines that, you know, you hardly taste them. I mean, they're lovely to knock back, but they don't have a lot of flavor. This this definitely could hold its weight against something spicy. Apparently, these grapes are left to ferment on the grape skin for 18 days. You get some of the color that comes off the skin, which is normally what they do with red wines. So it's sort of not done to do it with white. So it's funky and, and different. So today we're going to be talking about marketing with a journalist you and how you can kind of take a journalist approach to bring storytelling to life. Can you maybe kick us off by telling me a little bit about your background and your history with journalism, how you transitioned? Yeah, absolutely. So I went to journalism school and from the time that I hit maturity and started thinking seriously about what I wanted to do, I thought I wanted to be a journalist and I was going to write for newspapers and you know, keep the world safe for democracy and all that stuff. Went to a great journalism program at Northwestern University. Absolutely loved my training and did great internships. Had a huge amount of fun and then graduated and realized that any jobs that I was doing, the annual salary was less than I had paid the year before to learn how to do the job. There was simply no way that I was going to pay my student loans off if I stayed in journalism. So 
even though I'd had this great training to be a reporter, I pretty quickly transitioned in to big corporate jobs at first because I was, I was very resistant. I did not want to go into a corporation. I didn't want to do marketing, God forbid. So I started as a writer for in-house publications, thinking, well, that's still reporting. But you know, I just happened to be paid by a large corporation. And that was a long time ago. And now I'm definitely a marketer and have done a little bit of everything. But that was that was the entry point. Do you think that that's quite common, perhaps especially in the States, to come out of journalist school and like feel like you can't go into that career, so to go into marketing? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think it's one of the problems in journalism nowadays, along with so many other careers we can think of, that if you don't pay well enough, you're not going to get the right quality of people. I mean, even my journalism school, which didn't offer a marketing degree, when I went there, now has a very respected program in integrated marketing communications. So people are admitting that it is a similar discipline. You just practice it for different audiences. Um, But I I think it's a, a concern for journalism that most of the best journalists I know are now marketing people. Yeah. I I mean, and I kind of get that because I have two degrees in English Lit. So English Lit, you know, you learn how to write and analyze, and that obviously applies really well to copywriting. So that's how I ended up in copywriting. But how do you think that those skills from journalism translate or transfer into marketing? Was it a big shift? You know, I never realized I was any different than anybody else until much, much later where I started to compare what people had learned in marketing programs and realized that actually my education and background was really different than than what they were learning. And I think at the heart of it, if I'm just going to pick one thing, it's it's about being this middle person. You're kind of the other when you're a journalist, right? You know, you don't, if you're a good journalist, you are not the spokesperson of your publisher, and you are not the spokesperson of your reader. You're somewhere in between finding the truth. And I think a really great marketer isn't the person who follows the god-awful golden thread to the corporate messages. They're the people who understand what the customer wants to know, needs to know, and understands what the company wants to get across and brings those things together. So you're you're never on one side or the other. So as your career got going, you said that you noticed quite later on that you were quite different from the other the other marketers. Can you tell me a bit more about, you know, your approach and how that how that was different? I think I was probably 20 years in and then people were pointing it out to me that, you know, oh, well, you you ask questions in a different way. You can be confrontational in not a. Not a bad way, but I I think one of the problems we always have in marketing, or at least in every organization I've ever worked in, is how to say no. How to not be, and and we are an overwhelmingly female profession these days, and for good or for bad, we often get the reputation of the nice girls who say yes and want to make everybody happy. And uh, I think down that way lies, lies disaster, and I think one of the ways you cope with not always saying yes is asking great questions. So that that's definitely one of the things that 
that I brought kind of naturally that I didn't realize is always digging in and, and asking the tough stuff. I think also being skeptical. So my first day at journalism school, the uh, and I'll just never forget this, our lead professor welcomed us and said, if your mother says she loves you, I'm going to ask you why you think that and give me three objective sources to prove it. And that's journalism. Trust nothing. You know, we shouldn't trust anything that an executive says. Now, we may be, find the proof points, because that's going to make a better story, and then that's going to be more compelling to the, the customers. Don't just spin the line. Yeah, yeah. And I think quite often marketers find themselves in that position where they do have to challenge an executive because these executives don't always know marketing and they think that their brother's idea about the logo design is the right direction. Well, why? Well, why is your brother's idea, you know, the best idea in the room? Yeah. Uh, and do you actually have to listen to it? And I think it is it is quite difficult. So, I mean, what advice would you have to perhaps people who are early on in their career and have a CEO or have a founder who have, has lots of ideas, not all of them being good, but has lots of ideas? How do you how do you have that courage to kind of question it and, you know, to ask the right questions? I think it's a combination of two things. It's, it's questions and proof points. So questions are absolutely your friends. Understanding the business and trying to understand the business. And nobody, no senior executive that I know is going to be cross when somebody starts diving into, you know, can you explain more about the pipeline to me? Why are we doing this? What's the competitive landscape? And, and digging into why we're marketing and, and what's behind it. You know, what impact do you think this is going to have? What uplift in numbers are you, you trying to see? And that depends on understanding the business, which you know, a lot of marketers, I think, don't have that understanding. Or people will come into the profession thinking, oh, you know, this is about parties and writing a good press release. And you know, I've spent my whole life in tech marketing. Man, I'm sorry, you got to dive in. You've got to understand the technology of what you're selling. And you may think that cloud communications or AI is boring. Who could think AI is boring? Uh, but you got to understand the stuff if you're going to market it. Um, and then I mentioned proof points. You know, I think reading case studies from other companies, having data. You know, I remember long ago at uh, at another employer, um, a senior executive who was just absolutely sold on the idea that we had to sponsor a sailing team um, because guess what? His favorite sport was sailing. Uh, and what we could do was marshal the data to show that our our clients wanted to go to rugby. That's what was going to turn them out. Now, did we win that battle? No. <laughs> we, we still we still had to sponsor the the sailing team. Sometimes you you have to, but at least we made a compelling argument. We had data, and we felt better about that. It's easy for for us, perhaps, who have come from a journalist or you know even a English lit background, to to have this approach to ask the right questions, to be thinking critically and analytically. 
But, you know, as you mentioned, it's difficult if you come from a marketing degree, if you come like more the traditional route. So, you know, how how does somebody who's come from the marketing route start to take a more journalistic approach um, or even know the right questions to ask? Because I think it's quite natural for us to ask lots of questions. But if you're coming more from marketing that traditional route, that traditional degree, you might not even know what the questions are. I think finding a mentor is really, really important. You know, I've been lucky in my life to have some really good ones. I am surprised at how few young people seek me out. And those who do get an immediate gold star because Hmm. they're they're asking for help. Uh, So hanging out with people who know how to do this and learning from them, great. I also think the latest generations coming into the profession have a natural skepticism. You know, and you can pull all sorts of surveys from any search engine that say, you know, how skeptical young people are of large corporations, how much they question things related to sustainability. And I would just say, pick that skepticism up and apply it inside wherever you're working. Now, there's a fine line between skepticism and bashing your company. And you've got to figure out where that is. Because if you're going to to diss your corporate strategy, that's not good. It's about understanding it, not about rubbishing it. Yeah, I think there's a bit of tact there, isn't it? Because you don't want to come across as somebody who's straight out of university and knows better than everybody else in the room, but you also want to ask the right questions. So it is kind of being walking that line so that you're not, you know, causing offense. Yeah. Uh, you're not, you know, um, trashing a strategy that somebody maybe spent five, five years working on, but you're asking the right questions to help make the strategy better. And reading the stuff that's available as well. So, uh, you know, no journalist would go into a big interview without researching first. So, uh, you know, don't go into a marketing meeting without reading the last quarterly results press release and knowing it, there will be a strategy slide deck somewhere. And as a marketer, you should know what that looks like. And if you don't, go find it. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to creating the strategy, how does being from a journalist background influence, you know, the strategy and the approaches that you take? So, you know, I think as far as marketing strategy goes, a lot of it comes down to First off, understanding the customer again, back to that essential, who is our audience? What do they think? What do they need to know? I think B2C marketers are fabulous at this and have been probably forever. I think B2B marketers, not so good. Sadly, especially in the tech industry, I think we've been very, very good at telling people what we think they need to know. And that is just a way to to turn people off. So that understanding of the customer, a belief in storytelling and searching for a great story, which, you know, has a narrative and connects with humans. Again, often a problem in business to business communications where we can fall into boring statistics or you know, looking inward at what we're good at rather than looking at the effect that whatever our company has done 
has on somebody's life. And that's that's the end story. And ultimately, I, I always say if, I mean, unless your parents work in a large corporation, if you can go to the pub with one of your parents and keep their interest for 10 minutes, telling them a story from work, then you're probably on to something that is strategically solid. Yeah, and I mean, that's quite a new idea in B2B as well mm -hmm. because it's only really been recently that B2B marketing has become more empathetic. So traditionally, you get B2B marketing that is very corporate, very dry, very boring, has no emotion in it whatsoever. You get tech companies, especially in tech, you get tech companies that are so obsessed with the product that they forget about any of the benefits. That's one of the classic traps, isn't it? So, I mean, did you face any kind of resistance to that way of, you know, doing things? Did you face any challenges to, you know, being empathetic and understanding? It's definitely getting better than it used to be. I mean, <laughs> when I first started out, executives were particularly convinced that, you know, I have to sound intelligent. I have to speak for a long, long time and I have to use lots of really big words to be taken seriously. I mean, nowadays there's lots of research and there are lots of great communicators. People, if you look at Barack Obama and you know, forget what you think of his politics, but just look at him as a communicator and run his speeches through any of these tools that measure readability scores. And you can search them and there are a whole bunch, either readability indexes or uh, reading levels. And generally, you'll find his speeches, as lyrical and fantastic as they are, generally come out at sort of a 10 to 12-year-old reading level. Um, and that's effective, not because people are unintelligent, but because people are busy and you want to get to them in a way they can understand quickly. Yeah, they're at that that level of reading. And that's not because audiences are stupid, it's because audiences are busy and they just want to get to the story quickly. So I think that's that's changed for the better. I think now we almost have a different problem in with the advent of digital and everybody is whacking together reels on their Instagram account. So now everybody thinks they can be a marketer. So there's a whole different fight we have to fight that well, there's there's communications and then there's professional communications and you know we we do have a distinctive skill set. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely heard that a few times before. Uh, oh, just the uh, admin assistant can can do the social posts. One of the best ways we've found to combat that is uh, you know in this lovely world of LinkedIn and LinkedIn articles, which I highly endorse and. We always try to get our executives to write them. I do a little training class and then say, okay, you know, off with you because we won't write your article for you. You guys, you know, I work for a highly esteemed management consultancy. You guys are all very clever. You should be able to write your own 500 word articles. And that challenge is often enough to give people restore their respect in the profession yeah i mean training can go a really long way because like we do training a lot for like sales teams to help them like understand linkedin and how to use it and i think just like giving somebody the tools to be able to do it is quite empowering because um, i think these things can seem quite scary as well so while we say like oh anybody can do it 
feel especially with social quite a lot of people are quite scared to like put themselves out there and do it so there's a bit of like confidence building that's needed and yeah the training is a really great way to kind of overcome that and empower them and teach them you know how it works so it doesn't seem like this big scary platform but is you know actually uh, no-brainer. And you know, we've got a new challenge on the horizon now with ChatGPT, and everybody's going to think, oh, well, I can just ask the computer to write it for me. And I, you know, I've been playing around with it. It's a great mimic. You know, I have high hopes for stuff like, I've got a transcript of a three-hour meeting. Can you please mock up a 500-word article that I can then edit? But on the whole thus far, I've found it's a very good mimic still needs a lot of editing and it's not going to do creative and new angles it's just going to copy the old angle i was speaking to somebody the other week who was using it as a bit of a pa so it asked chat gpt for some restaurant recommendations in lisbon and she had some dietary requirements so gave them the dietary requirements it gave her a list of false restaurants <laughs> so if you're if you're a journalist worth half your salt you would have never never presented that even a even a even a good PA who is not a journalist wouldn't have presented that list. Yeah. Um it's quite it's quite problematic. I mean I I tried to use it to proofread an article that one of our like senior copywriters had written. There wasn't anything wrong with it. So it tried to tell me to do things that are not grammatically correct. So it wanted me to capitalize companies. Now companies isn't a proper noun, so you wouldn't do that. And when I challenged it, it said, oh no, you're right. You shouldn't capitalize that. Uh, and then it eventually said, oh this is actually a really good article nothing's required but you know if you didn't know the English language you would have thought that you should capitalize companies and you would end up with an article that had issues where there had been no issues before exactly I'm trying to use speech to text more because it's faster and you know if you're having a walk and you want to dictate some ideas great but you know I it'll be a while I am not threatened by artificial intelligence when it can't even figure out where to put an apostrophe right now. So it'll, be, I, I think I'll probably, I'll be employed throughout my career. I mean, I think it's a tool, but like all tools, you have to know what you're doing with the tool to get the best use out of it. You know, if you give me a hammer, I'm not going to be able to hang a painting. But if you give a hammer to a carpenter, you know, they're going to be able to hang that painting perfectly and it won't be crooked. Yeah. So, you know, it's a tool and you have to have the knowledge and the skills to be able to use that tool to its best abilities. I mean, I probably could not get a nail in the wall. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not the person they give the hammer to. And it's the same with ChatGPT. You know, if you don't know what you're doing to begin with, um, you can't you can't try to replace, you know, the skills and knowledge that journalists have um, with that. Exactly. I mean, what what's next for you? What are you kind of thinking about in terms of, you know, where the journalism track will go and, you know, what marketers who are really passionate about storytelling should be thinking about. So we're going much more towards video and audio, but you still need storytelling skills. And in fact, if you're going to do that well, it's even harder because you need to pick those perfect points. A couple of years ago, we kicked off sort of a news magazine format video series called Tomorrow Today, where we brought in an outside journalist style host to ask the questions and from the beginning set up, you know, we, we want this to feel like it's an outside publication, not a piece of marketing. And that 
was tremendously successful. And at the time, again, we didn't know we were doing anything that different. And we ended up winning a couple of awards with it for you know best use of content and best video because it was different, because it, it was, forget the marketing, go for a, a newsy angle. Now, we're starting to think we need to do social first. So rather than starting with the 20-minute video interview and extracting the social nuggets, we need to think what are the minute and a half bursts that we would like to get out of this and create the video from there. Another thing we're doing is much more podcasting. So, you know, in the old days, the way we're set up is we're a large corporation and I am basically running local campaigns in the UK. So I take our global thought leadership, which appeals at 35,000 feet to everybody and figure out the UK angles. Two, three years ago, that would have been blogs on our website. Now we've got a podcast. I'm the host of that podcast and I interview people and it's just faster and easier to do a quick 15 minute interview. Also faster to get it out, frankly, because the rest of the world will catch up. But right now we don't seem to have the flocks of people who feel the need to approve audio the way the minute you're writing something down, you know, 20 people need to get an editing pen in their hands and, and have an opinion. And for some reason with audio and video, they don't feel as comfortable editing. So we, we love that. And I mean, how do you how do you handle that process actually internally with the stakeholders and getting stakeholder sign off on any of the content that you're creating, be it video or you know more long form? We have kept the approval circle pretty tight. The people who are interviewed, my boss, the director of communications, our PR team, we run it by just to make sure that we haven't stepped into into any landmines without knowing it. And then you know, if it's a particularly sensitive issue, there might be a few other people we ask. But that's we've limited it to that. And you know, in three years of production, we've never stepped on a landmine. Everything's been good. So yeah, thus far we're we're gonna keep going with that. And we've also found, you know, there's kind of a virtuous circle. The more we do, particularly of the podcast, which we're doing more of now because, honestly, it's better value for money. The more we do, the more the people who, who have been on the podcast have realized it didn't take me a lot of effort to do this. I sounded really good, and it's been very useful for my clients. And then they spread the word, and it's getting more and more popular. So it's taken us three years but at the end of three years, we're, we're probably going to go up. We're, we're going to try to go up to a new episode every other week next financial year, starting in September, because we think we have enough critical mass inside the organization. Yeah, people want to be on it now. Yeah, I, it's really nice when you start to see that momentum. And it does take time with organic, you know, regardless of what you're doing. Organic marketing takes time to build that momentum. So I think it is about, you know, playing the long game. So, you know, you've obviously been doing the podcast now for, for three years and, you know, you're starting to see that really great traction. I think a lot of marketers make that mistake where they like do something and they're like, OK, we did two episodes of that podcast and it's not achieving any results. Let's scrap it. But you actually marketing often takes a lot of patience. You have to, you know, plant your seed and sow your seed and 
keep at it until those results start to come through because you're not going to see it from day one, are you? So would you have any final advice for marketers who are looking to embrace the storytelling, who are looking to, you know, champion all the really great values of journalism? We haven't talked that much about taking language seriously. You know, we were joking about video and, and audio taking over, but I still think paying attention to language and paying attention to writing is critical. I worry about how few marketers coming out into the industry have writing skills. And I, I just think it's the fundamental building block of our trade. And if you don't do it well, then how are you going to do everything else? So you know, looking at the big picture, the questioning, the storytelling, the writing skills, put it all together. And if I could tell people to do one very simple thing, start with using your subject lines and your emails like headlines. You know, something very, very simple. But so few people do an easy approach like that to cut through the, the tedium of everybody's mailbox. So if you can only do one thing, start there. But I, I am horrified that people can opt out of language skills fairly early on in their career. You know, you could create the most wonderful technology in the world. If you can't communicate it, then you're in trouble. So, you know, I, as young people come in, I just beg them to read. Because the best way, to my mind, you can learn how to write is first read good stuff and something like The Economist, which is well-written and balances serious news with some humor and some clever headlines. You know, just read it every week. So there are people out there who naturally get it. And if I'm going to be optimistic about the digital generation, it's that we have kids now who are brought up in a world of storytelling. That's all TikTok is. So let's hope that that's actually by osmosis, teaching some good storytelling skills that maybe language can refine. Thank you, Ellen, for joining me on Tech Marketers Encore. You can find out more about Ellen by following her on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Catherine Strachan, CEO of Coffeehouse, an award-winning B2B content marketing agency for fast-growing fintech and technology brands. If you're looking for a place to pick up the best marketing insights in 2023, our specialist at Coffeehouse got you covered. Find us at coffeehouse.io. The link's in the show notes. Tech Marketers Uncorked is produced by Fascinate Productions. See you next time.